1: Hey, welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. I'm Chris Stemp. Thanks for joining us. I'm excited for this one. There's a few reasons why. First, our guest this week is from Switzerland, and that's just a place I want to go. I hear they have beautiful scenery. And plus, the accent is always cool to talk to somebody like that. I also love talking to people from other countries because it helps expand my global view And hopefully you all feel the same, especially because this podcast is downloaded in almost every country in the world. So it's always fun to kind of connect on a global basis. Second, we're talking creativity, which is always a good time. And lastly, we're talking about creativity in a way I've never really done before, and that is the history of creativity. It's the history, and it's also how or why creativity has mostly been done by Western civilization throughout time. I'm talking before the United States, all that, and why that is. What is it about Western culture over our history that has really pushed the creative boundaries, and how is it that now we actually run the risk of Becoming less creative given our social structures, political structures, etc. Definitely an interesting conversation. Went a different route than I expected, but that's always a good time. So this week we're talking to Lars Tvide. Okay, I hope I pronounced that right. I asked him like six times how to pronounce his last name. Lars is the author of the new book, The Creative Society: How the Future Can Be One. He's a serial entrepreneur and author of numerous books on subjects ranging from economics, financial markets, and the future. He holds a master's degree in engineering and a bachelor's degree in international commerce. It was also fun for the first part of the episode, we talk about being an entrepreneur and how that's creative, but all the problems that come along with it. That's always a fun subject. And then we talk about the history of it and kind of the global geography, if you will, of creativity. So hope you enjoy it. Remember, if you're enjoying the show, I mean, we're always happy to hear about it, but make your thoughts public. Head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. And if you're thinking about starting a podcast and need some help, you can always connect with John and I at consulting.smartpeoplepodcast.com. Here it is, an episode from around the world with Lars Zvide. lars thanks so much for being on the show as this being the smart people podcast obviously creativity is something that is always at the forefront of many of our minds and i'm excited to talk not only about creativity but how the west is kind of losing it so thanks for being on the show
2: yeah it's a pleasure
1: so first, um, before we get into that, give us a little bit about your background. I know from what I've read, it's, it's extremely interesting. You know, I've heard serial entrepreneur, which always intrigues me. So tell me about uh, kind of what's going on there.
2: Well, I, I'm an engineer and an economist and um, started in marketing and then quite quickly I went into finance. Uh, so I became um, a, a trader i uh, been sitting at trading desks and uh, been heading trading desk and been a corporate trader also. Um, but then I started uh, founding companies with friends. So I founded different uh, startup companies in satellite communications, mobile data, internet uh, technology and so on. And um, also in property companies, one investment company. So yeah a serial entrepreneur. I like to be in a company until they uh, start at human resources uh, <laughs> but that's when I check out
1: and, and why is that the usually the time where you leave
2: it's It's because what what attracts me about um, startups is the newness and the fact that there's no politics mm-hmm. and uh, and you can make decisions very, very quickly mm-hmm. Uh, simply because there's no time to discuss uh, endlessly whether to go right or left. You know, people just act, and that's fantastic.
1: Absolutely. One of the things I always wondered is how do you start a company in so many different areas if, and maybe it is, but if it's not your background? So if you were a trader, you're in finance, how do you go into things like satellite communications and all these different areas? it it's
2: it's not it's not a first of all it's not a part of a plan it's just something that happens that suddenly I'm in a situation where something becomes possible, and I can see a demand a need for a solution i'm not necessarily the one who can deliver the solution um, but I know the people who can and then the, the the procedures the processes of starting the companies i find are fairly similar hmm. uh, so it doesn't matter that the products are quite different.
1: That's really interesting. I never thought of it like that. What would you say are the, because um, for many people, the idea of being an entrepreneur or starting a company and starting a company in something as confusing as maybe technology or data, you know, as opposed to just starting a company selling mouse pads. What is it that makes you successful at starting companies in various industries? My,
2: I'll give you an example. My daughter, she started a company when she was 19 years old. When she sells hairbands, and, and that's like three years ago. And now she has 50 employees. So she has like the simplest product you can imagine, wow. and enormous success with that. And for some reason, most of the things I started are super complicated, and it becomes very different because if you work with something that's super complicated, you cannot wait uh, until it's finished to get revenue. You have to do some uh, to sell something before you really have the final product finished. So you start selling consulting and, and solutions, professional services while you're building this big, big thing you want to launch. Mm. So um, I wish I had, sometimes I wish I had uh, gone into hair bands instead of soap.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and that's always interested me as well. So do you think that your daughter kind of, she got that from you. she saw what you did and said, "Oh, i can do this
2: i think I think she got the 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 ambition to start something because i and and most of my family's uh, friends we are we all entrepreneurs, so you know it's, it's since she grew up, she's always heard this discussion over the dinner table about you know starting companies, so we never asked her or, or expected I was you know super surprised but We never really expected she would do that, but that came very natural.
1: You know what's interesting? One of the questions I had for you later on, and as we kind of transition into creativity, but I feel like this is a a good intro, is creating, say, a hairband isn't something that takes enormous creativity. However, the business itself might.
2: So this is something people have not been in business. They don't often don't get that is how many complicated situations you get out of doing something that sounds really uh, mm. simple. Like you get channel conflict. Uh, you uh, you have people who don't want to pay unless they get this and that feature. And you have to explain them that, yeah, you can get this and that feature. However, it will cost more than you want to pay. And all these things that involve psychology and legal issues and so on. Mm. Building our building our company, my my sense now that I've done it so many times is Yet, it's like a football player. You're you're dribbling the ball, and you have the eyes on the ball. It's really, really complicated, and you make decisions all the time, really, really quick decisions. And you kind of don't notice if you're winning, Mm -hmm. in a sense, Mm -hmm. that suddenly you look up and you realize that you're clear in front of the goal. At at least I've had that. that Every day is just 200 problems you have to deal with. You're just dealing with an endless list of problems. And then Mm suddenly, sometimes you realize that, that... that you're you're losing your game, but some sometimes you realize, wow, we're actually winning in a big way. But <laughs> but <laughs> my daily life doesn't feel like that; it's just problems.
1: It's so good to hear that, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But before I put my kind of uh, input in on this, what makes then why be an entrepreneur? Why is that fun? If it sounds like a day full of problems,
2: it because you because you decide yourself. So, yeah, all these problems land on your table, but you don't have to go in to call a meeting and sit and get a consensus about how to do it, deal with it. You play yourself.
1: Mm.
2: So um, it's it's the the pleasure of dealing with things directly, how you think they should be dealt with, it gives you an enormous uh, feeling of freedom and power. And even though, you know, you work much, much harder normally in a startup than you would do in most other uh, Jobs. It doesn't feel as hard though. That's my experience because you have that freedom. You you feel empowered.
1: It's so funny. So I'm, that this is what I was gonna get into. So as many people listening know, I helped found a nonprofit in in DC, and although it's a nonprofit versus a for profit, almost the exact same issues. I mean, it just is. And I do feel like that every day. More problems than I can handle more than I can deal with, I think about it nonstop, but I keep coming back. And even my wife asks, like, this seems like it torments you. Why are you doing it? And I can't necessarily answer it other than it's the first time in over a decade that I felt like I'm living life and work on my terms.
2: Yeah. This, this is the thing that you can, you don't have this clutter. You don't have to fight through this other people trying to stop you. You Mm -hmm. can do Want. Even if what you want is wrong, yeah. you can do
1: it. Yeah. That's the thing. Like you come up with a problem and you go, here's what I think the solution is. And then just do it. And the, the curve, the learning curve is so fast. And, and the, I like the analogy you gave playing football or as we'll call it American soccer. And you, you're in front of the goal because you don't realize what your company has accomplished until you're telling it to someone else. And they go, wow, that's amazing. Congratulations. <laughs> You know? Yes.
2: Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you get really surprised when suddenly journalists get interested in you and they ask about your company. And then you get, at least I've experienced that, I get completely shocked at how they see my company because my company is just problems, problems. And right. they see they see it as this fantastic thing. But it's not always like that.
1: Right, right. Well, and I'm glad we, we talked there because entrepreneurialism is always a buzzword and it's interesting. And you know, it's one of those things that requires creativity. So I wanted to kind of talk about how did you then make this this transition almost into writing this book called The Creative Society: How the Future Can Be Won? What was the reason for doing so? Okay, so
2: actually, um, writing is not new to me because I've been writing books since I was quite young, uh, partly as a as a way to learn. Um, if if I, I think something is important and I can't find a good book about it, then I, I think it's fun if I could write the book myself. Uh, in this specific uh, case, I did a keynote speak, speech at the Danish uh, Growth Fund's annual assembly. That's 1,300 entrepreneurs and investors come together. And then um, I was out there speaking about creativity and the West. And then there was um, an, an editor from A publisher came and said, could you write some of this in a book? This is quite a a number of years ago, but I didn't have time. But then the same thing happened a few years later, and somebody else from the same publisher came and asked, can you write something about this in a book? And then I did have the time. And the reason I wanted to write that book was that I had read another book by Charles Murray, um, American scientist, uh, called Human Accomplishment where he uh, he described a research project where he and up to 50 co-workers, they had been sitting and reading encyclopedias uh, from, I think it was 163 encyclopedias from all over the world. The reason they did that was they wanted to find out who was mentioned. So then they recorded who was mentioned, and then they plotted into maps in time and space where these people were different times when they made their contributions to math, to physics, to music, to poetry, and so on. And it turned out, among other findings, that 97% of all the people they could find in all these encyclopedias from all the world were from the West. So that means the West, you know, the West today is Western Europe, United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, a few more places Typically, during the, last, uh, during the time where all these uh, accomplishments have been made, the West has not been more than 10% of the world population.
1: Hmm.
2: So think about that. So 10% of the world population make 97% of the innovation. That means that 90% makes 3%. Hmm. So there's something really unique about Western civilization. And we kind of know it. I mean, it, it, I think everybody knowledgeable in the world, uh, have some awareness that the West has been quite creative. In Asia, they are certainly catching up very fast. They're also very conscious about it, that they need to do more. Uh, but uh, Japan, China, South Korea, and so on, have certainly been catching up very fast. So they're very interested in, in it. And my book is coming out in Chinese. So that, that also shows That's that they're really interested wow. in this uh, subject. So I, I I began looking into why is that? So what what happened that made us so creative? And the first thing that caught my mind was that if you go back a thousand years, uh, the West was the, at that a thousand years back, uh, the West was only Western Europe. This was two percent of the world's land That's, That you know nobody people had not left Western Europe left yet. Something. Uh, Happened there, but a thousand years ago, Western Europeans were poor. They were they were probably more poor than Africans. When in the medieval age, when they made paintings of uh, from Africa or of Africa, they painted Africans as really rich people. They considered Africans more rich than themselves. Wow! So they were surely more poor than Asians. They were about the same level as American Indians and you know South American Indians. Then, something between now, between a thousand years ago and today, something really weird happened. And I was, was looking into that. So, um, you know, Gerard Diamond, a uh, famous author, he has written uh, books about this. And he said, oh, it's because uh, you had this fertile crescent, which is uh, Europe and parts of Asia, that had really good animal and plant species that you could cultivate. So that explains it. I just, he has some other explanations that he says it's easier to travel in that area than it has been in in some other areas. I just don't get why would that explain it since Western Europe was poor, really poor a thousand years ago. there, There must be something else. So another explanation is that Western Europe has really good rivers Uh, and really good uh, natural harbors and and, uh, great seas to sail in which is true so the rivers in western Europe they don't dry out in the summer like the Africans do they don't flow over they don't have waterfalls you can actually you can sail in I've done it myself Malaysia you can sail in from the sea right into Paris for instance I sailed from Paris to the sea but that's uh, about the same the Vikings did it and then they plundered. But, so great way was great, great opportunity to sail and trade. And trade is very, very important for creativity. Because as Steve Jobs said, creativity is mostly just that you see two things you can combine in a new way. Mm-hmm. And so you need trade to, to become creative. But that still doesn't exp- explain why the West was so, ha- so far behind and then became so far ahead. So something mm-hmm. must have changed and then by com- complete coincidence, I, was, uh, I, I, I found out what it was. So I'd actually submitted an 800-page manuscript to the Danish publisher without describing what was really the main thing. And then I, I sent it to them and I wrote to them, sorry, I need to redo it because I <laughs> totally missed the main thing. So the main thing is what happened with the nation-states. After the Roman Empire fell in around year 470... Europe disintegrated into, at one point, 5,000 different city-states. Can you imagine that? uh, 5,000 city-states in such a tiny area. And then parts of it started consolidating. So Spain, Eastern Europe, uh, most of France, South and Italy became consolidated in bigger states. But there was a belt that included Northern Italy and Switzerland and what we today call Germany, the Netherlands, England which remained completely decentralized for about 500 years. But when I say completely decentralized, it means that some parts of Germany, every city state was so small that you could walk around it in half a day. And then I I looked at the maps of where all this human creativity had happened in each time increment, and I compared it to the shapes of the states. And I found that it almost only happened when you had small city-states. As soon as a nation became consolidated, it became big, it got, became centralized, the creativity dropped. So that did not happen in China. It did not happen in the Ottoman Empire, in the Islamic area. It 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 was a really unique development. And so that it was that change that certainly made Western Europe so incredibly creative. And then from 1604... The, the Brits started populating North America, uh, which explains why you're there, I guess. <laughs> and, and then they started populating Australia, New Zealand, and so on. And they took these creative ideas with them.
1: Mm.
2: And so the message in that is that I think whether, whether you have a company or a society, if you want creativity in some of your activities, you need to find ways to decentralize.
1: Ah, oh, I see. It's not the only
2: thing you need to do, but you certainly need to do that. And people, and people kind of know that. In big companies, for instance, in Switzerland, where I live, you have these huge pharmaceutical companies, and they have they've largely made the decision, they said that our global marketing needs to be centralized for many reasons, including legal. But our product development shouldn't be too centralized. Mm-hmm. So in product development, they, a big conscious part of the strategy is always to follow a lot of small companies that are developing different things. And then you buy them when they, they seem to be close to having something that can be launched going even after. So they're aware of that. Take another example, best in the world perhaps is, is Apple. So Apple, um, they've centralized their marketing. They've also centralized building their core platform. But when it comes to applications... They have institutionalized decentralization, which means that they say, okay, we, we're not supposed to figure out all the applications you can make for such a device. We make an app store. We invite the whole world to make that. And within three years, they had like, you know, around one million different applications on the app store. And this is what Nokia didn't did, do. So Nokia, they wanted to do it, most of it themselves. And so they fell far behind. So there, are so there are so many uh, companies that are now realizing that if they decentralized everything that, that requires creativity, they will, really, they will get much more creativity. And they use crowdsourcing techniques for that. Where, where we really have a problem, though, is that the states don't seem to get it. Or even if they get it, they're not able to really implement it. So states keep centralizing
1: everything. Oh, okay. The, okay. Now let's take a break for a moment from our sponsor this week. This episode is brought to you by Lynda.com, the only learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. For a free 10-day trial, visit Lynda.com/smartpeople. That's L-Y-N-D-A.com/smartpeople. Lynda.com is for you, for listeners of this show. It's the problem solvers, the curious, people who want to make things happen. Maybe you want to master Excel, learn how to negotiate, build that new website, or boost your Photoshop skills. Go to Lynda.com and feed your curious mind. There's a few courses I really recommend on there, one being Growth Hacking Fundamentals. Another new one I just checked out is Learning to Be Assertive and Going Paperless Start to Finish. There's so many benefits to a lynda.com membership, such as watching and learning from top experts, streaming thousands of videos on demand, and learning at your own pace. Your lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics, anything you can think of, all for one flat rate. Whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to try something new, I want you to visit lynda.com smartpeople smart people and sign up for a free 10-day trial. It's free. Why not? That's lynda.com slash smart people. Now back to the show. In general, now why, when you say that, in what sense do states do that?
2: They, uh, you could say Europe, uh, where, where I live. Uh, now fortunately the Switzerland is not a part of the EU but the EU has been uh, consolidating more and more power so uh, different the populations in the membership member states they voted to get into EU on the promise of free trade free movement of capital and of people so that, that this was kind of the promise was similar to what the the did for Europe in the medieval age you know that we have movement freedom and uh, they've done that. They really delivered that. But then, once they have this, uh, virtually, you know, completed that mission, they went on and said, "Oh, by the way, we want to centralise and, and harmonise, as they say, uh, social regulation and lots and lots of regulations." So, in many European nations now, more than half of the laws that are implemented in that country is because the, the EU dictates that. Mm. So it's it's there's been a mission creep. So now it's it's an attempt to create the United States of Europe, which uh, many of the Europeans don't want at all.
1: Right. Okay. And that actually makes a lot of sense. Now, one of the things I think about is obviously this means I'm assuming you're against regulation. In, in I mean, does that is that a fair statement or assumption?
2: Well, I'd I'd, I'd say that in, in the Bible they had ten rules, and I think that was a bit of a low side. Uh, <laughs> But last year in the United States, they made more than 100,000 pages of new rules. And okay. I think it's very much on the high side. Yep. So I, I think when, when you, if you want, you want to make it easy and possible for people to make right choices, you can do it through regulation. But you can also, so regulation can be very firm. There's an example in Australia where they had extremely complicated descriptions of uh, old people's homes, how that should look. Mm-hmm. how the window should be and so on. And then they, they they tried the alternative, which is they just described that it should have a at homely atmosphere and respect people's digni- uh, uh, dignity. And that worked much better. So you can you can have much broader uh, descriptions of what needs to be achieved instead of, of, of uh, describing it in detail. But there's a third way, which is you say, we don't describe it at all. Uh, we just leave it to the market, and this is this is uh, you can compare that to the App Store on the Apple device. So of course, to be on the App Store, you cannot have a virus, and uh, you know it cannot be obscene and so on. But apart from that, you know everything goes, and then people can just vote with a feed. In Switzerland, we have um, private healthcare. So um, you have to be, you, every, it's kind of a hybrid between what you have in America and in what you have in Scandinavia
1: mm-hmm.
2: and Singapore perhaps. You have to sign up for private healthcare, um, but you can choose between a lot of different companies and when you are ill, you can choose where you want to be treated and mm-hmm. how. Mm-hmm. So you have all this freedom, you can vote with your feet. So the money follows the citizen, doesn't follow the institution. The, the government does not necessarily give money, sometimes they do, but... They don't have to give money to any hospital. They give money to the citizen, and the citizen chooses where to go. And so much of the things uh, where we use laws, we could instead use the market, and then people could vote with a feed. Just take Uber. So it's, do you say, do you call it Uber or Uber? Uber. Uber, okay.
1: Yep.
2: It, sometimes I hear uh, because it yeah. it's Uber. But uh, there's no description. They have a very, very light Description of what it takes to be a driver. There, you have. I think you have to be 21 years. No, uh, you know, not a criminal. Mm-hmm. You have to have a driver's license and, and, and a decent car. Doesn't describe in any detail how the car has to look or what you, how you have to be, behave and so on. But people can vote with the feet, and 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 you have mutual rating. And and for that reason, my experience in Europe now is that you get a much better service in an Uber than in a normal taxi. Of oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's cheaper, too. And so in, in public services, you could do the same. You could say, okay, there are some basic requirements to do it, to deliver education, to de- deliver healthcare, and so on. Uh, we don't want witch doctors and uh, religious indoctrination and some limits. But apart from that, you know, you have your coupons. You can go out and get it. And uh, you have to rate your experience, and the doctors and the nurses have to rate your their experience with you, perhaps also. Um, and then, and then the market will will um, will direct it, and that will create creativity.
1: Right, and I mean, and and I think there's a lot to be said, especially as you mentioned, Apple and Uber are great examples. But isn't there also something that is that's following the logic of, say, the um, you know the free market economy and that markets regulate themselves. But I think there's been a number of times in history where that's proven not to be true, maybe specifically recently in financial markets or housing markets. And that's where I know a lot of people think that's where their minds go when they think of regulation. It's that you also have these sectors that aren't really concerned, in my opinion, with adding value to on a global or national level, but only concerned with adding value in their own pockets and use the argument of deregulation and free markets to, to exploit that.
2: Uh, yeah. So I think just with the recent uh, economic crash uh, and with the housing crash in the United States, that there were, there were errors both on the public sector side and the private side because there was a, there was a demand for, for banks to accept risky, investments and then sell them on to Fannie Mae and so on. So, But that, I, I think that's, that's just a detail. What, what is important is that you have market failure and you have government failure. And so for sure you have some market failure that needs to be addressed by government. The most obvious example is pollution. So somebody can make money in a company that pollutes like crazy but if they had to clean up their own pollution they would actually have lost money. Mm-hmm that doesn't work so that's not unacceptable the government has to be to step in but the government also makes a lot of failures so the way i think about politics is this i can be a i can think like a socialist or collectivist or i can think like a conservative or i can think like a libertarian these are three mindsets and i think it's very good to understand the rationale between behind all three and then think about it like if you want to make a cocktail. I want to make a gin tonic with a piece of cucumber. That's like I take some gin, I take some drug, some tonic, some cucumber, and I, I find the mix that makes it really delicious. So when we consider society, there's some issues where a libertarian mindset works really well. Some where a conservative works well, mm-hmm. some where a collectivist works well. Me personally, I'm probably 80% libertarian, but there are some issues where I'm conservative and there are also some where i will be collectivist.
1: One of the things I I wonder, I was just talking to my cousin who, he's a trader on Wall Street. He's very much, you know, uh, pro-markets, you know, deregulate. And one of the things we were saying is when you cut down to a lot of the common sense issues, at least in our opinion, I don't mean to get political here, but it's happening, in terms of like, You know, um, we need less guns and people should be able to marry who they want. And, you know, uh, just a lot of these things that are fairly standard and it it even sounds like I'm talking to you. I've never talked to you in the past. We're on opposite sides of the globe. Almost you have similar views on a lot of these things. It almost seems like there are a lot of people who agree with this yet. We are unable to change the status quo. Is there a reason behind that, that that you can tell us through your research?
2: Yeah, there is is a natural tendency for power to get consolidated. So power gets concentrated spontaneously. And if you look back through history, uh, there have been about 200 different empires. Because if you go into Wikipedia and and, uh, check empires, you'll get a list of about 200 empires. They're all gone. So they're all gone because empires, they collapse from within. They destroy themselves. Hmm. Through over-regulation, over-taxation, because they stopped being created and so on. So it's, it's very, very difficult once you have built up a, com- a complex power structure full of laws to stop that. Even a p- politicians who get, get elected on the promise that they will you know, cut government, deregulate. You check four or five years later what they've done. They haven't done it because they couldn't get it done. They can talk about it, they can dream about it, but it's really, really difficult to get it done. So I think that I've been thinking a lot about how do we get out of this problem, because the problem is building up all the time in every Western uh, nation, also in many other nations. And I think the best way is to decentralize. Now, I, I, as I said, I live in Switzerland. And Switzerland is actually an interesting nation. I have looked at, have, I've looked at different comparisons between the success of nations. And looked at which countries are actually the, the best countries in the world. I'll give you some examples the Human Development Index, the Environmental Performance Index, the Good Country Index, the Web to Be Born Index. So I, I took like 10, 12 of these top indices that indicate how well functioning good countries are. And I just looked at which countries tend to get out on top. So the one country that comes out as number one in the world in half of them is Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And Switzerland, all the ones I looked at, is never less than number three. So Switzerland is in a class of its own. The other ones that come up really high are Canada, Australia, Scandinavian nations, Holland, um, a few more. Uh, most of them are small. Also, uh, and Credit Suisse made a study where they compared the success of, of big nations and small nations. And they found there's a systematic ten- tendency that small nations do better than big nations. And they also found that if, if a big nation gets split up, after it gets split up, its, its former, its constituents will do better than they did before and they will do better than other nations around them. So there's a very strong indication that small nations do better than, than good ones, but also that decentralized nations, irrespective of size, do better than the ones that are centralized. Mm. Switzerland has implemented the closest, it's probably the closest to a libertarian uh, model that exists in the Western world. The government has eight ministers. It runs 11% of the economy. There's no capital gains tax where I live. The, the top marginal tax rate is 21%. Uh, there's a VAT, it's 8% on common goods, 25 on food and medicine. You, there's very very little tax, very little government, and I have I've lived here 21 years and never received a letter from the government, never. Wow. So I From time to time, I've been, I receive a letter from the Canton, which is the local society. Canton is tiny, so what they have done in Switzerland, I don't think it was really a part of any great central plan or philosophy, but they maintained the medieval structure of city states, and they've done that right up to this day because they're so bloody conservative. They don't change it. And this medieval structure where everything is decentralized works really well. So now I'll give you one other comparison, which is the Global Innovation Index. And which country do you think would be highest on that?
1: Oh, man. Innovation?
2: Let me, let me just tell you something. I stop anybody on the street in Switzerland and ask them, they would say United States.
1: Right. And I, I would want to say that, but I got a feeling that's not the answer. So that's I don't not- know. <laughs>
2: okay it's Lesotho no that was a joke no, it's Switzerland
1: <laughs> wow uh, so what does that um, mean though like global because you don't see Apple or Amazon or Facebook or any of those coming out of Switzerland right
2: how, how much do you expect for, from 8 million people <laughs> no that's have, true yeah they do a lot more in uh, pharmaceuticals and machine tools and so on mm. but you know these statistical measures of, of applied creativity they actually come up on top so uh, of course you can, this can be disputed, but um, but I think to if, if you have you have a nation like my I'm I'm a, I'm a Danish national Denmark is has not 11 percent the government but 56 percent and it's completely granted granted to all. it doesn't the the economy cannot move anymore. So what they could do in Denmark was that they could say, okay, we keep everything as it is, but we just decentralize. So we just let every small region take care of how they want to take it from here. If they did that, every small region, I bet, would start being much more rational. They would start being more competitive. They would experiment, and the cost would go down a lot. Mm. And they would compete with each other. Like in Switzerland, they really, really compete with each other. Every canton, kind of... yeah. they fight. They fight.
0: And now a quick word for one of this week's sponsors. This week's episode is brought to you by Igloo. Igloo is an intranet you'll actually like. It's a cloud platform that can help you do your best work. Share files, blog updates, coordinate calendars, and manage projects. It's easy to use and easy to configure, even for the most non-technical of users. And it's built using responsive design, which means that everything you can do at your desk, you can now do on the go on your phone or tablet. The responsive design is meant to look great on all of your devices. Whether you're a large enterprise stuck using SharePoint or a fast-growing business overwhelmed by apps, create an intranet that matches your brand's look and feel, simplifies how you work, and is accessible on your phone. We've talked about Igloo for weeks. Igloo is absolutely amazing. It's helped streamline the podcast process for Chris and I. You 100% should check it out. Sign up now and try it for free at igloosoftware.com smartpeople. That's igloosoftware.com slash smart people and invite up to 10 of your favorite co-workers to try it with you. And now back to the episode. It's
1: really, I, I love thinking about it now. I, I mean, I, this is why I love this podcast because it definitely opens my mind and and I love talking to people globally. But when you think about America, right, the United States, so a bunch of states supposed to be united. So there's power at the state level and then power at the, the national level and it creates this, this divide um, that's so difficult because instead of states trying to compete with each other oftentimes, they're just trying to lobby for somebody to be in Congress or you know the next president so that they can reap some of the financial rewards. But if that power was maybe perhaps a little um, less centralized in the, the national government and more in the state level perhaps they would innovate more in terms of because they can look out for their you know, their small state. Yeah, in, in,
2: in the EU, they actually have something called the Subsidiarity Principle, which means that the EU should not deal with anything that cannot be dealt with equally well on a local basis. However, they don't respect it. In Switzerland, they have it and they respect it more.
0: Mm.
2: So in, in Switzerland, the, the government is not allowed to take to deal with issues that can be handled locally, so that means that every concern they have their own police force they have their own uh, school system they have they you know they, you have a, a minimal car tax here every year they each of them they can determine their own car tax and so on so they do it they find out everything themselves and they look at each other and somebody does something clever that other ones copy it and but you have the same I mean United states is United states this is a federation just like Germany is mm-hmm. so you have the experimentation New Hampshire has extreme has no income no local income tax right? that's
1: true yeah and and like Florida I think doesn't have income tax and then you have California which has very high taxes on a lot of things so there is that that differentiation
2: yeah but then California has charter cities right they have cities that can choose their own legislation yeah yep. okay. so you have this experimentation going on and and uh, if you didn't I'm not sure America would work.
1: Right. So you're saying, and again, I, I ask this A because I live here, and B because a lot of the listeners are from America, but it's it's a good idea or a good setup, not perfectly executed, but at least it's better than one massive centralized country.
2: Like a Roman Empire. Yes, exactly. Actually, actually, <laughs> the capital and, and these buildings and the names in it and so on is all modeled over the Roman Empire. So it's a... <laughs> So there's always been some admiration for the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. but we should not forget that the Roman Empire fell apart from within. Right, uh, they were overrun by small, small crowds of wild uh, Germanic people. They had they could collapse from within much before that. Hmm. So, so yeah, we should just we should always bear in mind if that decentralization is actually really strong. That's why the internet works. It's, 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 yes. it's deliberately decentralized. And think about this in uh, we all remember the the, the Greek uh, antiquity as being fantastic. That's where they had these scientists, the first scientists they had uh, they invented the ideas of free speech uh, freedom to assembly democracy, blah, blah, blah all this that we learn in school. Amazing. That that period where they did all this lasted about 15 generations. And so I looked in, into why did they did, do that all that then and then nothing after and why do we have to bail them out all the time right.
1: right.
2: And so it turns out during that period where they were so crazy it there was not a nation called uh, Greece. Greece was 700 to 1000 city states spread over the The area that we call Greece, plus parts of southern Italy and uh, along the Mediterranean coast. What happened after that was that they became centralized. So Alexander the Great, he made them into an empire. Maybe some people felt uh, great about that, but he killed the Greek civilization by doing that. Mm. And then afterwards, they became part of the Roman Empire, then part of the Byzantine Empire, then part of the Ottoman Empire. And that destroyed everything. Being parts of empires, so again, it's the same story. When there were city states that could uh, decide independently, that were competing, that were cooperating, um, they were very creative. As soon as you centralize, it, it stops.
1: Well, what about? And I keep going back to this because I think about it from you know my perspective and the American perspective. We all hear about the um, the, the inequality gap, right? The, the gap between the rich and the poor. And so these taxes and kind of the, the larger government and all that is, in theory, supposed to minimize that gap. So if we were to really, as you were talking about, lower taxes and, and, and you know, be decentralized, that it would take care of itself somehow? Or would the powerful just then reign as, say... Kings of their own state, as opposed to we have the one large national government.
2: Yeah, so just uh, about, the, about the powerful, I'm in favor of antitrust regulation. I think most libertarians, uh, all libertarians would be that, because you, you, don't, you don't want to have, um, because of a network effect, that one company simply runs everything. <laughs> right. But, uh, and then a little remark about inequality. So the global inequality has declined a lot. Also, yes, which yeah. also recently. So, it's when people talk about inequality, it's not about the global inequality; uh, it's, it's falling really, really fast. It's about the its national inequality, which over the last two hundred years has also declined, but over the last thirty years it has increased. Mm. So, I think that's uh, that. This is due to temporary factors, and the long term trend is probably flat from here. But um, these are just some general remarks about your question. But yeah. But whether we how how you solve how you address inequality, I think you should do it the Swiss way. So in Switzerland, um, there's you, you cannot find a nation, another nation in the world with more social harmony, um, where the, the weakest people are doing better. Singapore might be a, a candidate, but Switzerland is doing really, really well on these terms. How do they do it? They do it through jobs. So, because there's no, there's so little tax, people who do normal, practical work, work like uh, gardening work or you know other labor work, pay close to zero tax. And um, since VAT is eight percent, if they want to build somebody, it's it's their time plus a little bit VAT, and that's it. And because of that, and because it's so pro business, Switzerland generates far more jobs than it actually has people for. And that's why twenty, I think twenty-three percent of the Swiss the people who live in Switzerland now, including me, are first generation immigrants. Uh and, and they also their companies are creating so many jobs that they keep upsetting subsidiaries all around the world. So the best way to address uh, social issues is by making people qualified to get a job, and then making sure that taxes don't get there in their way. In my opinion, mm-hmm. and so on. In terms of making people qualified to get a job, it's only around fifteen percent of the people in Switzerland become academics. So most of them do not. And and um, in, 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 instead of trying to get everybody to uh, go through college and university and so on. The strategy is that by far the most people should take uh, practical education, and then they try to deliver them at a really, really good quality. And um, if you want to go to university, you have to um, you have to work in your holiday to pay for uh, for your expenses because you are not getting any subsidies for that. Whereas if you take practical education, you uh, you, in most cases, you actually get paid while you while you do it, and that means that it's very easy to get a job and it's extremely well paid. So they have the salaries are really really high in Switzerland. And, and a funny thing by the way, there are there are probably not a country in the world except maybe when there's civil war where you have more uh, machine guns than Switzerland because every family has a machine gun at home.
1: Wait. Did you just say every family has a machine gun in Switzerland?
2: Yeah, except foreigners. So I don't have one in <laughs> life. I'm a bit nervous about it. But but there are really really few uh, murders with with guns in Switzerland.
1: My mind just exploded. <laughs> because
2: people people have good lives and you know. Uh...
1: Why 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 have machine guns then?
2: That's the military uh, strategy. So, from your 18 to maybe 60, you have to be part of the military, and you have machine gun at home.
1: Oh, oh, oh! So you you have to be. And I apologize not only to you but listeners. Like, I don't, again, <laughs> I don't claim to know everything. This is why I talk to people. But so you have to um, go into the military in Switzerland.
2: Yeah. So uh, once a year, you have to show up for a little exercise, a brush-up exercise. And then on, on just, until recently, people also had the ammo at home. Now they don't have it
1: anymore, but they have the machine guns at all. Oh, I see. That is, man, (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know. Well, Lars, I know um, you're on a tight schedule here and we we definitely went an interesting way with this conversation. I love it. I love learning about these things. Um, Your book is The Creative Society, How the Future Can Be Won. For those interested, can you tell them kind of how this conversation we've had today uh, might tie into that book a little bit?
2: Yeah, the, the book is, the book is, uh, it takes the, um, it goes through human history and then it zooms in on why the Western civilization became so creative and it explains the unique things that happened in medieval Europe. And after that, it goes out and looks at how important creativity is for the survival of our civilization and uh, what might destroy it. So it also looks at all these uh, the enemies of civilization, the people who don't understand why we got so successful and are trying to stop it because they don't understand what worked, why it is that our society works so well.
1: Any, if it's, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, um, but because it did just come out. But if uh, if it's anything like the conversation we had today, I can't wait to to get into that. So I appreciate that. Well, again, Lars, thank you so much. The book is The Creative Society, How the Future Can Be Won. We will link to it directly on smartpeoplepodcast.com. I really appreciate your time. And thanks for giving us some global perspective. Always a pleasure. All right. Have a great day. Thank you. Alrighty, right. Bye-bye.
0: Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Lars Tvide. His book, The Creative Society, How the Future Can Be Won, can be found at your local bookstore or on Amazon. If you decide to purchase the book through Amazon, please don't forget to use the Smart People Podcast Amazon link located at smartpeoplepodcast.com Amazon. Using our link is the simplest way to support the show at zero cost to you. When you use our link... It'll send you over to Amazon, you do your shopping as you normally would, and Amazon gives us a nice little affiliate kickback, which greatly helps out the show. Another no-cost way to support the show is heading over to iTunes or Stitcher and leaving a rating, review, comment, all of the above over there. It truly does help out the show. It helps us move up the podcast charts, and it helps us get on more people's devices. If you ever need to reach out to the show, please shoot us a message at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or send us a message on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. If you have any questions about podcasting, don't forget Chris and I are here to help. You can go to our website, consulting.smartpeoplepodcast.com. Once over there, there is a very easy way to get in touch with us. We've got some great stuff coming up, so make sure you stay tuned to all things Smart People Podcast. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks to Igloo for sponsoring this week's episode of Smart People Podcast. Igloo is an intranet you'll actually like. It gives you the flexibility to get your work done how you want, where you want, and on whatever device you want. It's built with easy-to-use apps like file sharing, calendars, social news feeds, and task management. Igloo is the cloud platform that can help you do your best work. Get your free trial today at igloosoftware.com smartpeople smart people and invite up to 10 of your favorite co-workers.